Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. All right. Uh, so today uh, we'll be cover- covering the uh, early history, which is Joshua through Second Kings. Um, uh, just a little bit of a review. Uh, we had the first week we had an overview of the whole Bible, uh, and then last week we talked about the the Pentateuch. Uh, what you see on the board is the progression that Bryce gave us, kind of an overview of what happens in the in the Old Testament. Um, you've got creation um, in Genesis, and then you've got the patriarchs covered: Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, in Genesis as well, and how God has uh, chosen them and made a people for Himself. The Exodus, when they were in slavery in Egypt, and God brought them out through Moses um, out of Egypt, and then wandered in the wilderness, and then the conquest of the land of Canaan that God had promised to them, and then the kingdom that he builds uh, through, uh, through the Israelites, and then eventually because of their sinfulness, a division that happens in uh, the people of God. Uh, because of that, then there is exile that they face, um, and then eventually being able to return back to the land. And that covers basically what happens in the Old Testament. Um, and then you've got various writings that happen during that time uh, as well. Um, today, we're going to be covering uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Um, and that's going to cover, uh, as you see up here, these four portions of you've got conquest, kingdom, division, and, and exile. Um, so some of these, these books, especially Joshua, uh, is one of my favorite books of the, of the Old Testament. Um, and it's not just because of how good it is, but as Bryce said, it's kind of hard sometimes to push through Leviticus and Numbers, and then Deuteronomy sometimes can be kind of rough. So when you're going through your reading plan and you hit Joshua, you're like, okay, I made it out of the, some of the, the slower, harder stuff to get to. And it really picks up here. There's a lot of narrative. There's a lot of things going on. If you're a guy and you like battles and, and such, there's a lot of battles that happen here uh, as well. There's a lot of characters to, to follow. Um, so, uh, like as I said, Joshua, there's a lot of uh, interesting things that, that go on here. Before we hit Joshua, uh, I wanted to do just a really quick uh, review or overview of some of the, the covenants. Two covenants that were in the Pentateuch last week, and then another covenant that we'll hit today, the Davidic covenant. And the reason for that is in this early history, you're going to see God's faithfulness to these covenants on display. And so though I won't necessarily specifically talk uh, as I'm going through these books about the Abrahamic or the Mosaic Covenant, you're going to see them, as I said, being played out there. The Abrahamic Covenant, which was given in Genesis 12 and 15 and repeated multiple times to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, was this promise that God was going to make them into a people, make them into a nation, was going to bless them in such a way that their descendants would be innumerable, that they would uh, give them a land to possess and that through him all of the nations would be, would be blessed. And so you're going to see this happening with Israel here, especially the promised land that they're going to take and, uh, and conquest. Secondly, the Mosaic Covenant, which is basically the law that was given to the people of God. And God promised there would be blessings if you follow the law. There will be curses if you disobey the law. And again, you're going to see that play out with the division and the exile that happens uh, when they don't follow when they don't follow God. And then lastly, the Davidic covenant, uh, which is going to be introduced in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Samuel, uh, which is a really big covenant for us as it plays into a messianic uh, promise um, that through David, um, one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever, uh, and ultimately that is Jesus Christ. Um, so it's going to point towards that, and we'll talk a little bit more about that Davidic covenant um, as we go along. So, uh, starting with the uh, first book, Joshua. Um, The summary uh, that Bryce gave us said, After Moses' death, Joshua leads Israel into the land God promised them. Their battles are recounted. Um, So, basically, it's this taking of of the promised land. Based on when uh, we're able to date uh, Moses, uh, depends on how you date this, because this happens right after, right after Moses, after they've wandered in the wilderness, Joshua takes over, um, and they head into the promised land. So, around 12, 1400 uh, BC. Uh, Anybody want to take a guess at who the main character of Joshua is? 
Yes, Joshua. Uh, if you want to give a really good Sunday school answer, you'd say God. Um, God is ultimately the main character of this book and every book that we're going to be touching on today, and it's how God uh, brings them into the land, but ultimately he's going to bring Joshua into the land. Um, we're not going to talk very much about the authorship of these books. Um, but a lot of these books uh, have been compiled um, by somebody or by several somebodies. Um, and there are sometimes some epilogues that are uh, put on several years after all the events have, have closed. So there's not necessarily going to be one specific person that the, we're going to be able to say was the, was the author. Um, so a lot goes on, uh, a lot goes on in, in Joshua. Uh, there's four main sections of it. Uh, there's, they cross the Jordan, they take the land, they divide the land, and they serve the Lord in the land. When we go through Joshua, there's a couple of verses that I want to look at. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn over to uh, Joshua 24. Joshua 24. And the placement of these books, they're right after the, the Pentateuch. We're working, working straight through. Joshua 24, starting in, verse, starting in verse 1. And one reason why I want to look at this, it's a really good overview of kind of what's happened up to this point and a quick overview of what actually happens in this in this book. So Joshua 24, verses 1 to 13. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the elders and the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. And Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. This is where 1 Samuel picks up. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gagashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. So we see them going in and possessing the land. When they go into the land, just like with Moses, uh, we see that the Jordan River here is parted with the ark going in front of them and all the people uh, of Israel, the people who are going to help take over the land, cross over. Um, spies are sent to uh, Jericho to check out the land, which is the first place they're going to be um, taking over. Uh, and they come upon Rahab, who's somebody who lives there uh, in Jericho. And in the picture up here, you can see a, a, red, uh, a red rope hanging from that center window because they had made a, a pact with her uh, because she had been helpful to them uh, that when the Israelites attacked, if she put the red rope down, um, then they would not, uh, they would not attack her and her family there, and they were able to escape. So um, uh, with Jericho, uh, most, most of us in the room are going to be familiar with that story. Uh, they went to the city of Jericho with the walls, uh, walked around it uh, one time for six days, uh, and on the seventh day, they walked around it seven times, and the seventh time, they uh, shouted and blew their horns, uh, and the walls came down, and they were able to have a quick victory over, uh, over Jericho. One reason that um, Joshua was able to lead this way and lead successfully uh, in this conquest uh, is he gave a, God gave him a really great promise in Joshua 1, 9, 
which says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is a promise that is repeated multiple times to leaders um, in the Old Testament, saying to them, Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Um, this is a promise, like I said, given multiple times, and it's one that, that we can lean on as well. When I was serving overseas in China, I remember when I first went there, and uh, I, the first month or so, I felt very uncomfortable, um, and I felt like people were always looking at me in a really mean way, and before I went there, somebody had given me a necklace, and on that necklace it had Joshua 1.9. It says, be strong and courageous for I go with you, and uh, it was a great strength to me uh, as well. So with this power, uh, they go and they take over the land. And in this map here, you can see that there's kind of three conquests. The blue line in the middle is when they shoot across uh, Jericho and in the city of Ai. And there's also a southern conquest, that red line. And then there's a northern con conquest, that yellow line. And so by the end of the, by end of the book of Joshua, they've taken over this, this whole land, this breadth of, of Canaan. However, uh, the several of the Canaanites and different people still live in the land. So they've not completely driven everybody out, even though they've taken over the land. And so what they're supposed to continue to do in, in subsequent time is to go ahead and drive those, those people out. Ultimately, uh, in Joshua 13 through 21, uh, the land is divided up among the 12 tribes of Judah. Uh, if you count up uh, all of the uh, all of the lands up here. Um, there are 13 of them. And the reason that there's, there's 13, uh, sorry, I think it's actually 12. Let me check this. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yes, uh, 12 with Asher, that's my son's name, uh, being one of them up there. There's 12 up there, but you're missing the Levites. Um, and you're missing the, the tribe of Levi because no land is given to them uh, because they are priests. Um, and that is their duty, that is their allotment, and so no land has been given to them. But there are still 12 tribes because Joshua, uh, uh, Joseph, uh, when he was given land, uh, it was given blessings to his two sons. So it's kind of a double blessing to him of Manasseh um, and uh, Ephraim. So that's why we're still at, at 12, if that's not confusing. So that, when you're reading through it, you're reading through 13 through 21, it's basically like reading a map in word form. It's really boring because it's telling all of the, uh, the different perimeters of it. But that's how it eventually gets, gets divided up. And then while they're in the land, the next three chapters, um, they are to be serving the Lord in the land. Uh, a commandment that was given to them by Joshua in uh, chapter 22, verse 5, says, Only be very careful to observe the commandments in the law that Moses, to the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, and to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cling to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And all the people are like, yes, we're going to definitely do that. Um, we're always going to follow him, um, but we know that that's not true. Um, and we know that's often not true for ourselves, too, uh, when we make a, a promise to God, and, you know, we're going to follow you wholeheartedly, um, and then the next hour, the next week, um, or whatever it may be, uh, we go back on that, and we give into our, into our sinful ways. So as much as we would like to throw rocks um, at the Israelites for being so stubborn and being a cycle that we're going to see in a second, often we find ourselves in that same, in that same cycle. Um, if you want to turn back to Joshua 24, um, I want to read another passage in there. You'll be familiar with some of the verses um, here. This is this uh, verse, chapter 24, verse 14, is starting right off where we had left off reading. Some of you may have these verses on your, on your wall. Uh, chapter 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those, and did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. 
And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples and the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, also, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. There's that, that promise to them. How many of you guys have on your walls that, as for me and my house, will we'll serve the Lord? Okay, three of us. I thought it was more, more popular. Okay, there's more here now. It just, it just doubled. Um, anyways, if you don't, go out, go out and buy one. It's a good one to have on your, on your wall. Uh, and closing, closing, we see Israel's faithfulness and God's faithfulness uh, in verses 31 through 32. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the Lord of Israel brought up from Egypt, they, bur- they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob brought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph, and they lived happily ever after. That is not in there, because that's not what happens. Um, the next book that we hit is, uh, is Judges, um, and Judges is not a, a bride, a picture, and a successful story um, for, uh, for the Israelites. As I said before, the land has been conquered, um, but not all the Canaanites um, have, been, have been driven out. Um, this is the only book we're reading this much, but uh, before we hit Judges, let's flip back to Joshua chapter 23, verses 2 through 16. This is what is going to happen. Joshua 23, verses 2 through 16. Joshua summoned all the people, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done, all these, has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as, he, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord has given you. And now I am about to go the way of the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that, none, that no word has failed all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Spoiler alert, as we've already said, that's what happens. Uh, They do not drive out all the people. They intermarry with them. They start to bow down before their gods um, instead of loving the Lord their God with all their heart. And so God drives them out of drives them out of the land and out of the land and brings the evil upon them. So, which brings us to Judges, where things take this this quick turn for the Israelites. Um, the summary a statement of this is: In the generations following Joshua and the conquest of the land, the people of Israel uh, go through many cycles of rebellion, oppression, and deliverance. The date for this is directly following Joshua. It's about, it covers about a 200-year period beginning around the 12th or 14th century B.C. So it's going to cover from Joshua till the time that the kingdom is established through, through Saul. Um, the, some of the main characters here is going to be the judges. There are 12 judges um, that are in the book of Judges. 
Um, but you might uh, notice some of the names, uh, such as Deborah, Gideon, and Samson. Uh, we'll look at uh, Samson and Gideon's story um, slightly here. But uh, perhaps more important to the understanding of judges than understanding what each judge may have done is, first of all, what is a judge? Usually when we think of a, a judge, of course, we see you know, a guy or a gal in a black robe, and they got a gavel, and they're in a the court. Um, but that's not what a judge here is in Judges. Um, it's more of a, of a leader, kind of like a tribal chief. They're not elected. Um, they're somebody that God has risen up for a time to be a leader. Initially, some of the first ones are kind of a good spiritual leader, um, and they often lead into battle uh, to bring deliverance. Uh, but as we go on, uh, especially when we get to the last one here, Samson, uh, they're not really somebody that you would want to emulate. So that's what a, what a judge is. Think more of a, of a leader. A theme verse uh, for judges um, is repeated multiple times. One is 21:25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's what happens. They have no leader. They have no spiritual leader. Um, and everyone's just doing whatever they want to do. And it, it starts to go really poorly for them. Which brings us to the, the cycle that Bryce uh, had mentioned before that happens in, in Judges. Uh, and this is a cycle that starts with, with sin, uh, and then because of that, there's subjugation or oppression that comes from uh, other peoples. Then they, they pray and they call out to, to God, and ultimately God delivers them, uh, often through this judge that has been raised up. Um, and then there's a time of rest, and while they're resting, they become complacent, and uh, they uh, continue to sin, and the cycle just, just happens. It happens seven times in, in Judges. It happens very, very clearly through it. Um, two stories that the, uh, that the author highlights is that of Gideon and of Samson. Samson is, uh, sorry, Gideon is told to, to go over um, and uh, attack this, this group, and um, I think he's got it's either 20 or 30,000 uh, soldiers with him. Um, and God looks down on that and says, this is, it's too many people for me to get the glory that I want to get. You will be able to say that I did this by my might through my 30,000 uh, soldiers. So he sends home 10 or, 10 or 20,000, and they're left with the 10,000. And God looks still and he says, this is, this is too many. Um, and for whatever reason, God says, uh, have the, tells Gideon, have the people go and, uh, and drink from, the, drink from the, ri the river there. And uh, those that, that lap it up like a dog, those are going to, I want you to take into battle. And those that who kneel down, um, just go ahead and send them, send them home. So only 300 of them uh, drink it that way. And so Gideon's left with 300 people to go and take on this, uh, this people, this army, which, you know, it's counterintuitive because you'd rather have the 20 to 30,000 than the, than the 300. Um, and so uh, Gideon goes in with the 300 uh, with some jars uh, and torches. They break the jars and go with the torches and uh, the Lord goes before them, sends the people uh, into a confusion. Um, they start attacking them, themselves, and uh, they get victory. Ultimately, it's God who gets the victory, which I think is a good lesson uh, for us because I think if God gives us a task, gives us something to do, um, we run into some kind of difficulty, what I tend to do is like I try to get all my, my ducks in a row. Who do I need to call? What, what website do I need to research? What do I need to buy? What do I need to, to do? What kind of plan do I need to, uh, to accomplish what I need to do? Um, we need to remember that ultimately it's God um, who works for us. That's how we can be strong and courageous because it's God who goes with us instead of being strong and courageous in doing what we think that we need to do. So I think it's one lesson that we can learn from, from Gideon. Uh, Samson, um, I was looking for pictures for Samson in this movie. Has anybody seen this movie? Is, it came out like three years ago. I, I'm not endorsing it. I don't know if it's any good. It's probably not, but uh, it, it may be. So if you watch it, uh, let me know if it's any good or not. But Samson, uh, not a uh, leader that you would want to emulate in, in any way, except maybe he's really strong and had good-looking hair um, until he was... Uh, Mary's a gal named Delilah. Um, she's not helpful for him uh, at all. She's not, uh, she's not a believer. And sh she's trying to give him over to the Philistines. Eventually she figures out the source of his power is because of his Nazarite vow that his hair would not be cut. So they eventually cut his hair. He loses all his strength and the Philistines uh, take him in and tie him up. And while he's tied up, um, 
God one last time. So God uses, uses this, this guy, this broken vessel, and uh, gives him a bunch of strength. And you can see in the picture here, he takes down the, uh, the poles of the tent. And in that one fell swoop, kills more Philistines than he had killed in his entire time. These are the guys uh, that God is, God is working with um, to help deliver Israel. Uh, it's, a, it's a broken wheel that God is still getting, getting glory from. So that's the, uh, that's the time of the judges. It's not working. And ultimately, the people are going to ask, uh, ask for a king, which God had promised um, in the Pentateuch was going to be happening. Um, but ultimately, the people were looking for a king to solve all of their problems. And we'll get into that in a moment. But before we do, the next book is Ruth. Um, Ruth takes place um, during, the, during the time of the Judges. So it's a story that's going along here. And while everything is really bad in the Judges, in the time of the Judges, we have this story of something actually kind of good going on. Um, the summary of it is, in the days of the Judges, an Israelite woman named Naomi loses her husband and sons, but has a faithful foreigner of a daughter-in-law, Ruth. God provides Ruth with a husband, and she becomes the great-grandmother of King David. Um, I left the main characters off here because I was going to ask you who they are, but it's in the summary that I just read. So the main characters are Naomi, Ruth, and, and Boaz. This is a short book. We're going to spend a shorter amount of time on it. Um, but as I said, it's kind of a, a glimmer of the faithfulness and kindness among the people uh, who are committing wickedness at the time. Um, so you've got... Naomi. Naomi has two sons. Uh, there's a famine going on. Um, because of the famine, Naomi, her husband, and her two sons go uh, over to the land of the Moabites. Her husband dies. Her two sons get married um, to two Moabite women. Their sons then die. So she's lost her husband and her two sons, and the famine is finishing up. She said, there's no reason for me to stay here with the uh, Moabites, uh, land of Moab anymore. I want to go back to Israel. And so she says to her two daughter-in-law, two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, um, that uh, you guys stay here. You don't have to go with me. Ruth decides to go. Orpah does not. Uh, and that, therefore, none of you have any daughters named Orpah um, because uh, she, she stayed. Nothing wrong with that, but it's also not a very flattering name. So we fortunately have Ruth, who does uh, go back with Naomi. Um, Naomi changes her name to a, to a name that means bitterness. Uh, she's full of woes, um, but God, in this, in this time of woe, turns things around. Uh, because in the picture here, you see uh, Ruth, she has gone out to the fields and she is gleaning wheat. I remember as a kid, this was the first time I learned the word glean um, because she was going out and picking uh, the wheat that was, was left over uh, that the Israelites were instructed to do um, for those who were, were poor. Well, the guy in red there is Boaz. He turns out he owns the land and also turns out he's their closest relative who he's called a kinsman redeemer um, with the men in that lineage having died off in order for the land in that lineage to still stay in that lineage. Um, a kinsman redeemer uh, was assigned and that's who he is, the closest kinsman. And so then he can marry her um, and the land will still stay in that, in that familial line. Well, um, so Naomi tell ooh, oh, I thought I had a picture of her at his feet. So Naomi, Naomi tells Ruth, hey, go and approach uh, Boaz. Tell him uh, you guys should get married uh, and you can redeem us. And that's what happens. Uh, they get married, they fall in love, and uh, Boaz redeems Ruth and redeems the land as well. Uh, and here we have a story of kindness, of generosity, of this redemption uh, pointing forward to the redemption that we experience through Christ. You also have this first, well, not first, you have a glimpse of this inclusion of the foreigner. So uh, the people of God, the Israelites, are God's chosen people. However, uh, Ruth is not a, uh, she is not an Israelite. However, she is a faithful follower of God. And God brings her into the, into the fold. And because of this, she's actually an ancestor of of David, um, who, so she's the great-grandmother, great-grandmother, great-grandmother of, of David, and David, then through that line comes Jesus Christ. So, a uh, very important thing going on here with, with Ruth. Now, before we hit First uh, and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, um, I think it's really important that you remember these, these three names, uh, Saul, David, and Solomon. Um, these are the first three kings of Israel, besides Ishbosheth, who's 
uh, thrown in there very briefly uh, after Saul. If you just remember, Saul is the first king, then after him comes David. Um, they're not related. And then David's son is Solomon. So in First and Second Samuel, we'll be talking about Saul and David. And then after that comes, comes Solomon. So Saul, David, Solomon. First and Second Samuel, uh, it is... These books tell the story of Israel's greatest king, David. Yet, he falls short of being Abraham's promised anointed descendant. The date of this is around 11th and 10th century, around 11th and 10th century BC. Uh, last week, Bryce gave us kind of the rough um, estimate of a timeline you can kind of remember things by. Um, is that in 2000 is Abraham? Around 2000 BC, you've got Abraham being called around 1500. Uh, you've got Moses uh, and the Exodus around 1000 BC. You've got King David. And then uh, five, around 500 is when you see the, the silence uh, moving up to, to Christ. So here we are at, did I get that right? Did I nail that? Okay, good deal. You should turn your mic on whenever we have like correspondence. Um, so uh, on this one, Main characters. Uh, can you tell me some main, main characters in First and Second Samuel? Samuel, yes, good. David, I, I told you. You said Samuel, okay. Samuel, Nathan the prophet. I've got two more. Eli, Eli's in there. Jonathan's in there. Saul, yes, and the rule of King David. David. Yes. So good. Um, these are the four main ones that I picked, but you can make a uh, you can make a case for the ones that you guys said. So I'm probably wrong. You got Samuel, Saul, David, and then the prophet uh, Nathan as well, who plays a fairly significant role. There is a lot that goes on in First and Second Samuel. I taught First uh, and Second Samuel uh, like. 10 years ago for this high school, Sunday school, and uh, the curriculum had us like flying through it. I ended up like just, we're going to do one chapter a week. I got in trouble with the pastor because I spent like a year on it when I was supposed to spend like, you know, two months. There is just so much that goes on in First and Second, First and Second Samuel. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on it as well. And there's a lot of important things that go on too. Uh, one quick note, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Originally, these were one, one book, um, one, yeah, just stay together, but because of the length of them, uh, for to fit on scrolls and such, they had to cut them, cut them in half, so that's why we have First and Second Samuel and Kings and, and Chronicles. Not true with, like, First and Second Timothy and, and Peter and such. Anyways, so in the beginning, uh, you've got... Uh, a lady named Hannah, who doesn't have any, any children. She's barren. She goes to the temple, and she is, she's crying out to the Lord that God would provide a son for her, uh, which he does. And she had said if, if God would provide a son for her, she would devote him to the Lord and for the Lord's service. That son, the little boy here, his name is Samuel, um, who the book is, is named after. And then uh, the older guy there is Eli. He's the, the priest. Um, and so uh, Samuel was living there with, with Eli, priest with Eli, who was the priest at the time. Um, Eli's sons, who were also there in the temple, they were not walking with the Lord, and which was true uh, of Israelite, the Israelites in general at this time, not walking with the Lord. However, God calls Samuel uh, at this temple, um, and during this time, the Ark of the Covenant, which is a symbol of the physical presence of, of God, which was used in the parting of, of the Red Sea um, and was a, a focal point in the temple and the tabernacle, um, they would often use this in battle. Uh, at this time, they were going to battle, but they were kind of using it as a magic talisman. Um, and so when they bring it to battle, Eli reluctantly sends the, the Ark out and the Ark of the Covenant gets captured by the Philistines, which is uh, a giant tragedy. Um, and Eli's sons also die during this. When Eli finds out uh, about the Ark of the Covenant and his sons, um, he falls over and he, and he dies. Samuel now serves as the last judge of Israel. Um, and he was the last judge when the people were crying out for a, crying out for a, a king. The, the Pentateuch um, in Genesis and also in Deuteronomy, God said that there would be a king. But as I alluded to before, the people were treating this king as all the rest of the nations have a king. We need a king also. That's what we're missing in our country to make us a great nation is a king. 
Obviously, that's not the right answer. God was their ultimate king. He was the one that made them great and made them into, into a nation. And God would eventually uh, condone a king uh, and it would use them as his own leader. But unfortunately, the people were looking to that king to be their, their savior. Anyways, Samuel anoints Saul, who's the uh, tall guy standing there in the middle. Um, he looked like he would be a great leader. He was tall, handsome. Uh, he was uh, brave in, in battle. He was given some success in his battles uh, early on. However, his character was really not uh, up, to, up to snuff, um, which was evident uh, when he went to battle and he was, Samuel told him to wait for him. They were going to uh, make some sacrifices before the battle. Um, but uh, Saul saw the window of time, was opportunity was fleeting, and they needed to attack now. So Saul ended up making the sacrifices himself, even though he was not a priest. Samuel was told him, you're not supposed to do that. He was quite upset. And then uh, shortly after that, uh, in another battle, Sam Saul was told, you are not supposed to take any of the spoil from the people uh, that you kill in this battle. You're supposed to leave it all there and destroy it all. Um, and... Samuel, Samuel shows up and he says, uh, what's the sound of the, uh, what's this, the bleeding of the sheep back there that I, that I hear? And Saul's like, oh, don't mind that. You know, people told her, you know, made me keep that. And, and Samuel said, no, absolutely not. Um, because of the, these choices, um, God is, is now leaving you. And Saul reaches onto his, onto his robe as he's walking away, and it tears, as you can see in the picture here. And Samuel says, um, as the robe has torn, so God is, is tearing you um, from, from being king. So at this point, then we have David enter the scene. Uh, David is the, uh, is the uh, handsome young man. Uh, yes. He looks kind of effeminate in that picture, but uh, play, I guess maybe it's kind of hard not to look effeminate when you're playing a harp, but um, I'm sure there are manly guys that do play a harp, but anyways, he's playing the harp over here for King David because David was, was stressed um, and his, was, was troubled in his spirit, and he was told if they played the harp um, for him that it would help him, and, and God actually did, did use that to, to help him, and this is a uh, kind of a preview of David as a musician who ends up writing uh, many of the psalms that we have um, so anyways, David's there playing uh, harp for him. Also, we have a story um, before David is well known of David and Goliath, um, where the Philistines put forth their, their giant um, saying, hey, if, you, if anybody can beat him, then we lose. Uh, if we beat you by our giant, then, then you lose. No Israelites were ready to take up that, that offer. David heard about it and said, God has delivered me before, given me strength. How can this Philistine uh, curse our God like that? I'm going to go out and, and beat him. And uh, they said, go for it. So he went out there and he did uh, with, a, uh, with a rock and a, uh, and a sling. He took down David and, and slew him. Uh, after this, uh, David grows in, in notoriety. Um, Saul d does not like it. Um, and uh, Saul starts trying to kill David. David has to flee into the wilderness from, from Saul. Uh, ultimately, uh, Saul is killed in a separate separate battle. He has to fall over on his own on his own sword, and Samuel anoints David as as king. David is called a man after God's own heart. Um, he is you know well heralded in the Old Testament and still now, which is why we have people named David, like David Cannon and many other Davids that you would that you would know. Um, David is victorious in in many in many battles. And through the prophet Nathan, through the prophet Nathan, who encounters David several times, the Davidic covenant is given in 2 Samuel 7. In the Davidic covenant, God promises, remember those, those covenants that we talked about before, this is that Davidic covenant. God promises to make his name great, promises to give him a place to plant Israel, promises to make the land secure, and promises, and this is the big one, to establish his throne forever. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells us this is a messianic foreshadowing, a typology of Christ and the Messiah who is to come. Because after David, we do have Solomon. Um, and after Solomon, uh, many of his children lineage goes down where there is a descendant of David on the throne. Ultimately, fast forwarding to the end of 2 Kings, Israel is in exile. The, the temple has fallen. Jerusalem is in ruins. There is nobody on the throne. 
However, we see this kingdom that God is speaking about is not just an earthly kingdom, but all the more so uh, an eternal kingdom uh, that ultimately Christ is going to fulfill. So that's a big covenant that will play a big role uh, moving on. David, uh, as great as he was, being a man after God's own heart, having this covenant, um, leading, leading the people um, in godliness, he did, however, have many faults. Um, as many are aware, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Um, he tried to murder uh, and ultimately had uh, Bathsheba's husband murdered. He had a wrongful taking of the census, trying to see how big the country was and perhaps how great uh, his, his dominion was when he didn't need to do that. All of this resulted in unrest in his family, in successors, and ultimately uh, the division of the, of the kingdom. So moving on to 1st and 2nd Kings. After David and his wise son Solomon, who is the, the son of Bathsheba, actually, with David, Israel experiences a civil war and splits in half. The many kings of the north and south progress down toward abandoning God, and so God brings in nations to conquer both, and, they lead, and leads them into exile. The date for this uh, is about 970 B.C. to 586 B.C., and the reason that number is more specific, uh, obviously we're getting to more recent history, um, and also there's a lot more uh, corroborating his historical evidence from other, other peoples. This is specifically the fall of Jerusalem uh, when, it is, when it is taken over. Main characters for this, um, Solomon, who is a third king. Remember Saul, David, Solomon. We got Solomon, and then after Solomon, this is going to be one of the key things to remember in First and Second Kings, and we're going to go over this. This is when the people of God divides into being the country of Israel to now being the country of Israel and Judah. Um, and that's going to play into the prophets that we're going to deal with the rest of the Old Testament as well. It gets really confusing um, if you don't understand this. And I say that because I've been really confused for a very long time. Um, so uh, hopefully this is, is helpful. Um, so going back to the, the main characters, you've got the kings of Judah and you've got the kings of Israel. There's about 20 of, of each that kind of run concurrently. Um, and then during this whole time, there are prophets who are speaking, who are speaking for God um, and often giving warnings to either the people of Israel or the people of, of Judah. And those are some of the major and minor prophets that we'll be studying later on. One of these such prophets is Elijah. Uh, he is given a lot of time here, and uh, we'll speak about him briefly because he plays in the New Testament, and also there's no uh, writings of there's no book of Eli. Um, there's a movie. It's not related to the Bible. Um, but there's no book of Elijah that we're going to, that we are study. So we'll hit him briefly. Solomon, he is the third king, Saul, David, Solomon. Solomon is David's son. He is the son, interestingly enough, of Bathsheba, that adulterous relationship um, that David had. Um, this is the son uh, of her. Um, he is asked uh, of, of God what would he have given to him, and instead of asking for riches or glory uh, or victory in battle, he asks of God that God would give him wisdom. And God says, you've asked for an excellent thing, I will give you wisdom, and because you did not ask for the other things, I will give you those as well. So uh, Solomon is known for being one of the wisest men who has ever lived. And we'll see later, he doesn't always live according to that wisdom. But one of the wisest men who's ever lived, and also he had one of the most exorbitantly uh, rich and wealthy um, kingdoms that plays out in a lot of the building projects that he takes on, including the temple. David had wanted to build the temple before he died, but God said, no, you know, it's nice that you want to build this for me, but you've got a lot of blood on your hands. So I don't want you to build it. Your son is going to build it instead. Um, this is Solomon's uh, temple that gets built. There's a lot of money, a lot of riches um, that go into it from the land of Israel and also from lands nearby. Um, and it is, is the glory of Israel. And it brings great glory to God um, to have this temple here as well that has been built. However... With all of this wisdom, with all of the glories and all of the blessings um, that Solomon has, 
Solomon quickly uh, takes a, a bad turn and he indulges in foreign women, having hundreds of wives, particularly from other lands where uh, Solomon is trying to make peace with other, with other nations. Um, and through them, he allows the worship of foreign, of foreign gods. Uh, Solomon writes uh, the book of Proverbs. We have the song of, of Solomon and we also have Ecclesiastes. So I'm not going to steal any of Andrew's thunder uh, on that. But uh, in Ecclesiastes, you have Solomon talking about how he just lived for whatever he wanted and indulged in all kinds of, of things and ultimately found no satisfaction in that. So the story of, of Solomon is uh, fascinating, but also kind of sad in seeing how he uh, takes a, a, great, a great downfall. Um, after he, and during his time, he raised the, the taxes on the people, which is one way of being able to, uh, to fund projects like this. After Solomon dies, uh, when, his, when his son uh, Rehoboam, which you see down here at the, the bottom right, uh, is his son, when he takes over, he decides that he wants to raise the taxes instead of lowering them, even though the counselor said that'd be a bad idea. The, the, the northern tribes, which you see in the yellow up there, get upset about this, and they break off from the country. And they say, we're not going to follow Rehoboam. We've got our own leader. We've got Jeroboam. And so from this point on, you've got a divided kingdom. And from this point on, you've also got two different lines of kings. And as you read through the book of Kings, you're going to encounter about 40 different names, 40 different kings, um, and they get all jumbled together. They make it confusing. Some of them have the same names, and so it gets hard, hard to follow. Um, and just a, a quick example that I know you cannot read that at all, but just kind of giving you a, each of those lines, if there is a different king, and there's some charts for this, there's just different lines going all over the place trying to make sense of what's going on. But just looking at the quantity of it, if you look at the left side, the purple, that is the line of, of Judah. Uh, those are the 20 kings there. And if you can see, that line is a lot longer than the line on the right side with the different colors, with it, which is the kings of Israel. The kings of Judah, sorry, the kings of uh, Israel on your right side is a lot shorter because they reign a lot shorter time. Their average time of reign is about 10 years each. And of those 20 of them, the number of good kings is zero. God says there is not one good king among them. Among them. None of them did what was right. They were all doing, doing evil. And so because of that, after, this, uh, after this, this reign here, they are eventually uh, exiled to Assyria. Assyria comes in, takes over the northern kingdom, the Israel, and those people are taken off to Assyria. Then on, the, on your back to your right side with the purple, this is the kings of Judah. Among them, if you can see it all, the little green or red dots next to them, the green dots signify good kings and the red dots signify bad kings. It's kind of refreshing as you read through First and Second Kings, at least it is for me, you just see all these kings doing bad, doing bad, doing bad. And then there's suddenly there's this one king, there's Hezekiah or Josiah or Asa who stands up and does good tears down the idols, gets rid of the, the, the foreign worship in, in the land. Um, they find, one of them finds the book of the Torah in the temple and says, oh my gosh, we've not been following this at all. Um, and in great repentance, calls the people to follow after God. There are eight of these good kings among the 20 uh, on, the, on, the, on the Judah side, which is why they're blessed a little, little bit longer. However, ultimately, there's enough bad going on in, uh, in the kingdom of Judah. They're not following after God. Um, they're following after their own ways, which is where the Mosaic covenant comes in. You're not, you're not obeying. There are now curses that come to you. And as promised at the end of Joshua, I will drive you from, drive you from the land. Um, during all this time, um, you've got prophets who are speaking to each of them saying, hey, you need to repent. If you don't repent, you're going to go into exile. You're going to be, be torn down, which ultimately happens uh, with the Israelites, the northern kingdom being taken over by Assyria and the, the, the southern kingdom of Judah being taken over by Babylon and being sent to exile and the temple is destroyed. 
One of these prophets um, who stands up is Elijah. I don't think I have an Elijah picture. Nope. Um, Is Elijah, uh, and I believe he's with the northern kingdom uh, speaking to them. And they've they've been following after uh, Baal. There's all these prophets of Baal, and in one great event, uh, he takes on uh, he takes on these prophets of Baal, and, and he ends up being kind of victorious over them. God uh, God uh, shows off there, and, and Elijah uh, thinks he's the only one left, but there are a few others who are who are following. So Elijah does about seven different uh, great miracles that are recorded. Elisha. If that's not confusing enough, takes over after him, asks for a double portion of power. He ends up doing fourteen different miracles. Um, the it is promised when the Messiah comes that he will have a forerunner, uh, Elijah, coming. And that ends up, we know through Jesus, is going to be John the Baptist. Um, and at the transfiguration, when we see Moses, uh, Jesus in his glory, and we also have Elijah there. Elijah plays a very important role uh, in the continuing, continuing story of the Bible. So, uh, we have covered uh, seven books today, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. We've seen the conquest of the land. We've seen the kingdom established. We've seen the kingdom fall apart uh, through the cycles, and we see the division, and then ultimately we see the beginning of this exile. Um, And then we'll pick up uh, next week with the later history um, in that exile to eventually the, the return. I think that's the last line. Perfect. All right, uh, that's all the time we have. Let me uh, close for us. And if you have any questions afterwards, uh, Bryce is up here. <laughs> Father, we do again praise you for your, for your faithfulness, for your kindness to us when we are nobody, when Abraham was nobody, when Israel did not exist. There was no word Israel. There was no land for them to claim as their own. There was no king You made them into a people. You gave them a land. You carried out your promise through Abraham and through Moses and through David and ultimately through David sending us us Christ. And we are thrilled to be a part of that story now. I pray, Father, that as we walk through this week, as we encounter your word, as we encounter problems, as we encounter victories, that we would be reminded of your faithfulness. We would be reminded that we can be strong and courageous, for you are the one who goes with us. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.